0: Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts,
1: Tamara Littleton, CEO and Founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to the Genuine Humans podcast, and we're recording this on a, a cold November evening, but we are delighted to be joined by Eileen Wysalek, all the way from Las Vegas. Welcome, Arlene. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And of course, I'm here with uh, Wendy Christie, our fabulous co-host.
0: Hi, Tamara and Arlene. Lovely to see you both.
1: And of course, you know each other from way back, don't you? Wendy, do you want to just sort of explain how you know Arlene? Of course. So Arlene and I first met in
0: an AOL chat room. 25 years ago I I was working out which just seems crazy and at the time Arlene um, and what I'm sure we'll hear more about this as the podcast goes on had been part of the startup team for AOL UK and uh, was responsible for amongst other things for recruiting moderators and that's how we met and then I ended up working in-house with Arlene in London and the rest is history.
2: Community management before community management was a thing. Exactly. (laughs) Pioneers.
1: (laughs) Well, Arlene, you're the Senior Vice President and Client Solutions and Strategic Consulting at Allied Global Marketing. But what I would really like to do is just go backwards and find out about your career, maybe your early career, how you got to be where you are now. And please just,
2: you know, take your time, share your story. I always wanted to be in the media and entertainment business ever since I was a little kid. But after getting out of college, I didn't want to go the sort of, you know, fetch coffee and print scripts route. Um, I wanted to do great things with my degree. So I made the very conscious decision to go into an allied field, so to speak, and then do a lateral once I had risen high enough in the industry. So I um, did exactly that. I started out at Ogilvy, which was Ogilvy and Mather at the time, started out at Ogilvy as an assistant media planner, rose through the ranks there to be assistant media director, and then got recruited away by a television production company to be their vice president of marketing. So... um, it kind of worked out exactly as I planned. Although (laughs) I'm not sure it it wasn't necessarily intentional in that sense, but that is exactly what happened was I got to a certain point in an allied field and then got to go into directly into the entertainment business. Um, After several years at the television production company, I by then was married. I uh, had a child decided I would take off a few years um, and stay home with our son, but I kept working. I was consulting. And kept my fingers in the business. And then uh, my husband, who was working for Disney, uh, was given the opportunity to uh, relocate to London and start up and run the first non-US Disney Channel. So, uh, toddler in tow, we moved to London. I ended up, a seren- in, a, in an act of serendipity, meeting the uh, newly installed managing director for AOL UK. Internet was still rather novel in the UK in 1995. Not too many people had heard of it, let alone heard of America Online. I had heard of both. Um, So he invited me to come on board and join the team, which I did. And it was fantastic. I worked at or with AOL for the rest of my time in the UK. Then when we moved back, it was more consulting. And then I ended up in one of those positions where a friend needed someone to come in and help uh, manage his production company. And uh, Once again, I found myself falling backwards into an unintended but rather delightful career helping to produce uh, music documentaries. Music is a real passion of mine, so that was amazing. I worked on feature documentaries about James Brown, about John Lennon, about Harry Nilsson. It was an amazing, amazing time. Then uh, through another act of serendipity, because I know uh, Wendy's going to ask about this, (laughs) I found myself on... Facebook one day uh, where I was used to playing uh, Scrabulous and uh, fell into playing Scrabulous when there was an outage of some game or other, fell into playing Scrabulous with a guy. Uh, I didn't know who he was, um, but he was really, really good at Scrabble. And we had a bunch of mutual friends. So at one point I said, who is this guy with whom I'm playing Scrabble? And they said, oh, you know, it's Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears. (laughs) And I said, you Got to be kidding me. Um, So I was a massive fan of Tears for Fears. But I, in fact, my husband and I, I think our third date in the 80s, we went to a tears show. So um, Kurt and I ended up chatting in the Scrabulous um, chat room. And at one point he started telling me that he was going to release a single, uh, a solo album, but he wasn't quite sure how to go about it. And he didn't necessarily want to work with the label system at that point. And I sort of impulsively said, let me help you with that. And so I signed on as his personal manager. And during our five years working together, we expanded his career into scoring, acting, public speaking, solo acoustic performances. It was my favorite job ever. And about the time that was winding down because he wanted to, we needed to go back to Tears as a full-time venture at that point and Tears Took on new management and didn't really want him having independent management and it was time for us to sort of move on. A friend of mine who owns a brilliant creative agency in Los Angeles called BLT asked me to come in and help on one of their accounts. And it was through working at BLT for several years as a producer on digital creative, I worked with several media agencies. One of them was Allied. And when my husband and I decided we wanted to move to Las Vegas, someone from Allied reached out and said, we want to open a Vegas office. Would you be interested in coming on board and running it? So (laughs) it's quite a daisy chain of being in the right place at the right time and sort of being open to opportunities. And I do believe that my, I, I attended Smith College and I majored in English. And I do believe that one of the values of a liberal arts education is being able to analyze and adapt and see connections and things. And you might look at my career path, one might look at my career path and say, well, she's a dilettante and just bounces around. But there is a through line to all of it. It's always around media and tech and entertainment. And it's always around knowing people and keeping an active social network to trot out an overused phrase so that when opportunities arose, there were already connections in place for people to put me together with the opportunity or for me to put myself together with the opportunity.
1: And do you know what drove that kind of real desire to, to get into, you know, media and, and tech, tech and entertainment? Where did that come from?
2: I think it came from my father. Uh, my father was a television producer director. So uh, one of my earliest memories is sitting on his lap in the control room when he was directing the news. And It just always fascinated me he also had quite a fascination with gadgets and technology he was a tinkerer he built things Um, we were sort of early adopters in our own way of the first ones to get a microwave or the first ones to get a 8-track player in our car or whatever it was at the time my father was very enthusiastic about it and i think that just whether that is nature or nurture i share those things as does my son, by the way. So it
1: continues. I, th- I think it really does. I know that my my mother was the real sort of techie driver in, in our household when we were all growing up. And yeah, we had a a, a Betamax before, like the, the, the video before VHS kind of took over. And yeah, she was definitely buying like stereos and word processors and gaming. And yeah, I think that gave me a kind of interest in tech. So yeah, the, these early... Tech introductions, they really do make a difference, don't they?
2: I believe so. Um, I am envious, is probably too strong a word, but I love that today's youth are uh, digital natives mm-hmm. and that they can exist in the physical world and they're extremely comfortable in the virtual world as well. Whereas many of us who are not digital natives have had to adopt that and and become accustomed to it and it wasn't it was more like learning a second language mm. than speaking it natively
0: definitely and i think there was that mad uh, you know for, for us i guess we're all a fairly similar age and probably that time in our 20s where there was just this whole new world available to us and it was just this mad diving into it and for me becoming almost obsessed by it and it kind of taken over my life for a while and I think I feel quite glad in a way for, for this generation now that they they don't have to go through that process because it was quite exhausting.
2: It was exhausting, but it was exhilarating in a way too, yeah. because for me, it was the democratization of information, having it be widely available, you didn't have to go to a library, you know, you could look things up on CompuServe at the time, you know, where you could download corporate annual reports, which at the time weren't generally available. They were available if you knew who to ask or if you had a stockbroker or if you called investor relations Mm -hmm. at a company, I suppose. But it wasn't as easy as now we can simply look online and find out loads and loads of information about companies, about businesses, about strategies, about budgets, about governments, whatever it is. And being able to do that, to me, was mind-blowing truly you know in the 90s that you could go online and download the budget of the united states of america was mm-hmm. crazy
0: yeah i don't know how i even survived watching a movie before the internet without <laughs> having at my fingertips what was that guy in before what have i seen that person in? and i guess maybe i don't know maybe i'm just lazy and my memory was probably better than it, it wasn't a thing so Coming back to, to, to your childhood, actually, which we started to touch on there, talking about your dad and and being early adopters,
2: what were you like when you were little? I suspect I was sort of a mini version of how I am right now. <laughs> I was an avid reader. We traveled quite a lot. My parents had a record collection. We listened to a lot of music. I was a huge fan of pop music and entertainment. And I was fairly organized. Right. And I suspect if you ask my friends about me right now, that's probably how they would describe me. Avid reader, avid traveler, huge fan of pop music and entertainment and tech, organized.
0: So those threads have really continued. And did you always want to work in entertainment and tech? Was there a period as a small child when there was something else that you wanted to be?
2: In elementary school, grade school in the States, I wanted to be an attorney and I thought I would someday grow up to be on the Supreme Court. Um, As I became a teenager, I decided I wanted to be a uh, road manager, tour manager for bands until one day, this is pre cell phones, I will say, I was at a show and the lighting truck never arrived. It was an outdoor gig uh, at a major show and the lighting truck never arrived. And I watched the tour manager sort of turn gray in front of my eyes and I thought, And because they didn't find out the lighting truck wasn't getting there until it didn't get there which made it rather difficult to procure gear for the night and this was a this was at merriweather post pavilion which is a large venue in maryland and uh it was for a beach boys concert and i thought you know maybe i don't want to be a tour manager after all
0: (laughs) it was probably good that you went through that experience coming back to your Kurt Smith story, I mean, you know already that I'm a huge fan of Tears for Fears. And what you might not know is that it was the, that was the first gig that I ever went to without my parents was Tears for Fears at the Aberdeen Capitol in 1983. And uh, my friend Gary touched Kurt Smith's foot. And I thought, I'm going to have to marry <laughs> Gary. <laughs> so when I, I heard later on that you were managing Kurt it just blew my mind and, and you've, we've talked about the story of how you got into that and and it strikes me that um, I mean you might listen to that story and think oh what amazing luck but I, I think it's more than that I think it speaks to your skills as, a, as somebody who, who builds relationships and somebody for whom networking is clearly so important so I'd love to hear more about that importance what either you know, how did you develop that those skills and what you know why are they so important to you
2: well at the end of the day most skills are commodities for example it's not we can all agree it's not brain surgery to do marketing <laughs> so what sets the best people apart is their willingness to learn to teach to engage with the world to give and take so the pandemic has made that a lot more challenging for all of us but not impossible and other than trying to convince people to get vaccinated, most of what we do as marketers isn't really saving lives. So that's not to say that it's not a pressure-filled environment distinguished by changing budgets, Mm -hmm. changing products, changing deadlines, having to react nimbly to world events. So we all want to work with people we want to work with, Um, not just who can execute the job, but who can make you feel like you have support, like you're in it together, like you have somewhere to turn. So building and maintaining a network is super important to this. My friend, uh, Amber Naslund, uh, whom you might follow on Twitter, uh, just tweeted recently, relationships matter, you build them over time, not when you suddenly need them. And when you are in a position to encourage your teams and colleagues to forge new career paths, do so, their growth is your success story. So I believe that, I believe in offering support to people without expecting anything in return, wish them happy birthday, send them an article you think they'd find interesting, refer interesting job opportunities or clients their way, check in on them, establish what I like to call a reservoir of goodwill. And that way, when you do need something, the person on the other end won't feel like you're taking advantage of them. They'll want to be there for you and they'll want to help you.
0: I love that. And and, sort of th- and thinking back um, over your whole career, which obviously is varied, who are some of the genuine humans that have really influenced you or supported you?
2: The first one I can remember is a fellow Smith College alumna, Dolly Wagaman, who was uh, considerably older than I was. I met her when I relocated to Los Angeles right after school. She was a brilliant woman, undaunted, uh, really, did not ever wake up in a day and think there was something she couldn't do, if she put her mind to it. And she was very supportive of me. Didn't do things for me, mm-hmm. but helped me see that I could do them, and helped support me when I made decisions to do them. So she was the first one. My first bosses at Ogilvy, a friend of mine called Seth Levinson, who I met at the production company, who introduced me to online services. He, you know, I he showed me Compuserve through a coupler, you know, in, in (laughs) 1988 or 89. And I immediately went home and said to my husband, we need to get a computer at home. And luckily my husband said, okay, if that's what we need to do, let's do it. And we went, and people said to us, why do you need a computer at home? That's absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) So obviously it was not ridiculous. Um, It was scary and interesting. And um, but Seth definitely opened my eyes to this world of online communications. Um, Don Bailey, my friend who brought me into BLT, which ultimately led to me being hired by Allied. Um, And my current bosses, Kelly Estrella and Adam Cunningham, they have supported me, challenged me, mentored me. I've been at Allied longer than I've stayed at any other company in my entire career. I've been here seven years now. So they are fantastic and have allowed me to grow and, uh, and learn. And then... I'd have to say last but not least, my husband, Tom. He's a former client of mine. Um, That's how I met him when I was at Ogilvy. He was one of my clients at Mattel and he is my North Star. He gave me the single best piece of business advice I've ever had, which is before doing something, stop and ask yourself, what's the upside? Right. And if there isn't one, don't do it.
1: (laughs) Great advice, Tom. Yeah, I love the clarity of that actually just focusing on on allies a little bit more i'm i know that you've worked with some amazing brands which ones are you either particularly enjoying working with at the moment or or maybe some from your past
2: well right now we're working with amc networks globally so that is fascinating we are spending as an agency we work with both live and filmed entertainment mm-hmm. so we have the opportunity to not only be part of this relaunch of the world into a return to normalcy, but working with uh, filmed entertainment, both movies and cinema, as well as linear and streaming networks. So that is fascinating. In the end of the day, as I said earlier, we're not necessarily saving lives, but we are providing entertainment to people. And that makes me feel good. So I love working with that. We also work with hospitality companies, Mm -hmm. um, like station casinos, Uh, resorts world, others. We have a new client now called Illuminarium, which is an immersive entertainment experience um, in the States, but it's growing as well. So those are all fun, exciting, sometimes category defining clients, which are some examples. Our our website at allyglobalmarketing.com has a lot of other clients with whom we work. I don't want to appear to be favoring some over others, But those are ones that uh, I'm working on right now, which are fascinating. And outside your fabulous clients, which other brands
1: are are kind of really impressing you at the moment? or, Or is there any one that you would absolutely love to work
2: with? So impressing me at the moment is just sort of what's going on in the industry. For example, Nike have just applied for a patent, for some patents in the US, of digital goods, which is indicative of their interest perhaps in the metaverse and in nfts or other ways to represent their and, and monetize their products and their brand um, virtually which i think is fascinating geico insurance in the states makes lots of funny and clever uh television commercials but they have one that's been so funny and so clever that they've run it for a really long time now it's um with a tag team the um you know whoop there it is and if you have the chance, Google it and look it up. Uh, it is hilarious. It's perfectly cast and acted, and it's really, really funny. So I admire that. And then there is a brand new app called Clay that is getting some serious love on social, and it has one of the best privacy policies I've ever seen, which <laughs> makes me love that brand.
1: <laughs> love a bit of privacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in the industry for uh, for a long time, like uh, like Wendy and I as well. It's kind of a slightly bigger question, I suppose, but what could we do better? What What changes do you think that we still need to make in the industry?
2: I'm happy to report that my agency's leadership is a welcome exception to this, but I believe women need more representation at senior levels in the industry we should insist on equal representation before before agreeing to participate in panels. We don't want to be sort of the token female. We want women to be equally represented. We're half the population. We should be half the panel. No more of this, I just want to pick your brain or sorry, but I don't have budget for speakers. I mean, unless your bank accepts exposure as a mortgage payment, we should insist on being paid what we're worth.
1: Yeah, and it's funny when you kind of... um, I I various people on Twitter sort of share these these stories about how their approach to do speaking gigs and when they say you know how much they'll sort of say oh sorry there's no budget and then suddenly they find a budget it's kind of it's all a bit fishy really I think it's it's very unfair
2: yes I agree
1: obviously it's still a fantastic industry what is the best thing about our industry and and perhaps what advice would you give to future leaders
2: well the best thing about our industry, I believe, is the opportunity to advance and to define your career and to, to adapt it to whatever's happening. Uh, Wendy, you know what we're doing now when we were joking earlier about, you know creating community management in the 90s, now it is a career. At the time, we defined it. We, we built it and made it happen. So so much about our industry is new. There are new products, new platforms, new measurement, It's never too late to get started and it's never too late to learn. So my advice would be to find a mentor, um, maybe more than one mentor. And when you're able to be a mentor, don't give into misogyny or feel like women in the business is a zero sum thing. Your success doesn't have to come at the expense of other women and vice versa. There should be room for all of us. And another great thing about our industry is there is not the need to necessarily have a graduate degree or go through training programs. Many of us learn, I, I don't have a graduate degree. I have a four-year college degree, but I did not go on to get a master's. It's helpful. It's not necessarily requisite anymore. And that's great too, that you don't necessarily need a specialized education in order to advance in this industry.
1: And I know something is, really important is, is having outside interests and passions and I I happen to know that uh, you do a lot of volunteer work with the Women's Hospitality Initiative and the Las Vegas Innovation Marketing Association. Are, are you right to just sort of share a bit about why you chose to volunteer and, and just give us a little bit more information?
2: Sure, the Women's Hospitality Initiative is designed to counter the sad fact that women make up a very small single digit percentage point of those who own restaurants or are in executive positions in the restaurant and hospitality industry. So we are trying to help provide a pipeline for women to ascend to those positions, starting with education, starting with uh, programs at universities, for example, classes, mentorship, events where we can introduce people to each other, where we can start creating those mentor-mentee relationships, trying to help women obtain capital, obtain experience, obtain connections, to become a more equally represented in the leadership and not just the day-to-day workforce. Not that those jobs aren't important and critical, they are, but so are the executive positions, so is the leadership, and we want to help make that happen the las vegas innovation marketing association started out as a uh, what was then sort of this novel digital marketing group of people in the industry involved in it but obviously digital marketing has expanded uh, way beyond buying search ads or buying online ads or making a website or a blog so the innovation marketing association really encompasses all of those things now how do we market in an innovative way How do we understand and adapt to new technology, new platforms, new placements? Um, it's, It's supported by industry, by vendors, but it's also made up of people who are on both the agency and the client side looking for, particularly now, in an age of Apple really enhancing their privacy practices, which as a consumer, I find gratifying. As a marketer, it's been very frustrating. Facebook has changed its attribution window. So if what we all dislike about online ads is their ubiquity or ads that are somehow irrelevant or inappropriate to us, then on the other side, you've got the marketers trying to make more opaque the connection between the marketer and the consumer so that we're less able to effectively target ads, which has a result of us seeing even more ads that might not necessarily be relevant because we're not able to target so finitely. How do we navigate through that? Back in the Bronze Age when I was at Ogilvy and (laughs) we were placing ads in TV Guide, the TV Guide did a study and found out that ads that were relevant to the act of TV watching and entertainment, consumers found those useful and helpful, did not really regard them as intrusive or is objectionable. Whereas ads for say consumer products, you know, kitty litter or breakfast cereal or something, people were annoyed at. And even back then, what was clear is that if an ad is truly giving you information about something in which you're likely to be interested in, you're less likely to be offended by it. You're more likely to welcome it as helpful or educational and expanding your knowledge base. So it is in everyone's best interest, both the marketer and the consumer, I believe, for us to effectively target our ads so that they're reaching people who are the most likely to be interested in them and find them useful. You know, I don't want to spend money, um, my clients' money, if, if our job is to be a steward of our clients' marketing budgets, I don't want to spend that budget reaching people who are not likely to be interested yeah. in consuming the product. So that's that's an ongoing challenge. And it's one that the Las Vegas Innovation Marketing Association is helping in, in our local market to try and combat. Brilliant.
0: We're going to move on to the part of the podcast now where we get a bit more personal. So we've got some quick-fire personal questions, hopefully nothing too awkward. Um, (laughs) So what's your idea of a perfect weekend? Any guilty pleasures?
2: Well, in the before times, at least, the idea of a perfect weekend um, would be staying home and having a date night with my husband, running errands with my husband, which is always more fun to do as a couple than on your own. Maybe a weekend away or a staycation. My guilty pleasure would be um, getting a mani-pedi, which I don't get to do as often as I would like, or perhaps not as often as I should. But I do love doing that when I'm able to.
0: Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. I'm surprised not to have heard the words Grand Prix in that answer, I must admit.
2: Oh, that's not a guilty pleasure. <laughs> that
0: is true. But it is part of a perfect <laughs> that is a pleasure. That is a pleasure.
2: And it is part of this weekend, I might, it is when we recording. <laughs>
0: and on a slightly different uh, tack, what advice would you give to your teenage self?
2: I would give myself two pieces of advice. One would be, don't worry about what other people are thinking, because they're just worried about themselves just like you are. The other advice would be, please establish an exercise habit. Oh, because God. I did not do that as a child. I did not do that as a young adult. I did not do that as a younger, older adult. It's taken me a very long time to get into fitness and being healthy. And I wish that I had established that earlier because it's much more difficult when you're in your 40s Absolutely. and 50s than it is when you're in a in your teens. And that first piece of advice, I think the first
0: person who said something similar to me, I think it was about going swimming and it, 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 it feeling self-conscious and it was look like nobody's looking at you all they care about is what you know is our people looking at them and what they look like and that was actually almost life-changing
2: yeah true and it's the same thing at a party we all go into a party we feel awkward are we wearing the right thing everyone feels that way so yes. just don't worry just do you and don't worry about it absolutely I think
1: my relationship with swimming changed actually when I discovered goggles and <laughs> to swim underwater I used to just have my head above like <laughs> like a little sort of dog sort of swimming and then (laughs) discovering goggles was was a game changer for me because and also at one point because I do love a bit of tech having those headphones that you can listen to music in while you swim as well oh I didn't even know they were a thing yeah so I think it's just finding something that works as well so critical question now it's a karaoke one do you prefer solos group songs or avoiding it
2: altogether? I could not carry a tune with a suitcase, but I am a very <laughs> appreciative listener. <laughs> well, the world needs
1: appreciative listeners and karaoke. <laughs> and if you were going to write a book, what would
2: it be about? Finding the perfect gift for people. Oh, that was quick. Oh, yes. That was quick. <laughs> I have a whole system where I keep notes and when people mention things tangentially like something is their favorite movie or they found this amazing vinegar or a little shop somewhere that they adore. I keep little notes. And then when there are gift giving occasions, I go back to my notes and I say, oh well Wendy loves Tears for Fears. Let me let me do this for her. Um, And it's helped it's helped me a lot. And then I also keep similar notes when I find I have a whole file of kooky, interesting, offbeat unusual products that I have found so when I'm looking for a gift for someone I go back to that file but I have all these little systems that I use because I love giving gifts to people and um, I think it's something that causes people a lot of stress they don't know what to give people they don't know if it's appropriate to give this to a colleague they don't know what to bring to a dinner party they don't know what to do for the office white elephant whatever it is gift giving causes a lot of stress and I think I could write a great book about uh, relieving that stress
0: I think you could, and I can attest. I've still got. I've got a triple triple Billy Joel CD that I got from you in the nineties, <laughs> <90s>, Arlene, <laughs> and it was so thoughtful because
1: I thought I love Billy Joel, and I must have mentioned it at some point, and probably maybe wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm beginning to understand why you're so brilliant at networking and building relationships as well, because that is a cornerstone, isn't it? Listening, taking notice, taking notes. That's that's above and beyond. I I uh, I applaud that.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: So speaking of gifts, if Tamara and I could gift you an extra hour every day, what would you do with it?
2: I would hire a trainer and work out. I used to do that in Los Angeles. I had a trainer, brilliant guy called Ryan Baylor, and I worked out with him three times a week for years and just absolutely adored it and have not made, I won't say haven't found, haven't made Mm -hmm. the time to make that kind of a connection and do that here, but I liked that because it was an hour that was all about just me it wasn't about my husband or my child or my job or my volunteer commitments it was just me and it made me feel stronger mentally and physically so I miss that.
0: So you would go back to that that's great a great answer I think you touched on this a little bit before actually we're talking about being an avid reader and being super well organized how else would your friends describe you and is that how you'd like them to describe you?
2: Oh, that's an interesting question. They would describe me as loyal, spontaneous, impulsive, if you will, very much into food and wine and travel, and a superb gift giver. And uh, that's probably exactly how I would like them to describe me. That's that's how I see myself. Um, yeah. I would probably add something in there about entertainment and technology, but yes.
0: Cool. That sounds spot on. And I, like, I some things very much in common with Tamara as well, I would say. <laughs>
1: Arlene, is there anything that you dream of doing that you haven't done yet?
2: I have always said I wanted to learn to tap dance and to play the drums. That plays sort of right into my preference for the rhythm section and probably why the musician I managed plays bass. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, those are two things. And you could be well within your rights to say, well, why don't you just do that? And that's an awfully good question for which I don't have an answer, but I should.
0: I think the person who had an answer to that question would be very, very rich. Why don't any of us do the things
1: we want to do or should do? Exactly. I must admit, um, learning the drums was one of my favourite things to do. I'm I'm sorry to sort of if that makes you feel jealous in any way, but I learnt when I was 14, and what's amazing is that it never really leaves you. So you can, I can still get on a drum kit and just sort of play, you know, just go a bit crazy, and it sounds okay. To so a, a real drummer, it would probably sound terrible, but I think it's one of those things that it, it's kind of quite uh, satisfying that it stays
2: with you. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to learn to play drums. And my parents said, no. <laughs> <laughs> we had a very small house and they were like, no, you are not. No, not a thing. But at the time, uh, digital drum kits weren't available yet. Oh, so yeah. now I feel I could in another world, I could acquire a digital drum kit and learn how to drum without annoying my husband or our neighbors. And um, I might just do that.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you see, I was old school. I, there was a drum kit at school, but I practiced on cushions
2: at home. So
1: mm. <laughs> <laughs> before, before they brought out the digital ones.
2: And now you could now I could take a class via YouTube or something. Like I wouldn't have to have a drum teacher per se. I wouldn't have to go for lessons or have someone come here. I could just do it on my own and, and figure it out. So I might well do that. Maybe this is going to be
1: part of the metaverse that you can just sort of like go into the metaverse, sit there, play the drums. Who knows? Maybe I kind of, I do kind of miss real life though. Yeah. Well, we could talk to you all day, but we are actually coming to the end of the podcast. But before we finish Is there anything that we haven't asked you that you wish that we had asked you or is there any sort of closing thoughts that you'd like to share?
2: Your questions were brilliant, I thought. So uh, nothing that I wish you had asked me that you hadn't. I would, as a closing thought, just like to say that it's wonderful to me, not at all surprising, that Wendy and I, who first met online, that 25 years later, we were once again connecting online. And as much as I do yearn for a return to a more normal physical engagement with the world. The fact that this kind of interaction can exist and we can be together across continents, time zones, you know, having a a synchronous conversation and then being able to share that with your listeners, to me, that's just remarkable. And I hope that this sort of thing will continue where we can establish these connections virtually and then perhaps engage in them uh, in the real world. Wendy and I have visited with each other since I moved back to the States. We've seen each other in Scotland. We've seen each other in the States. um, And I hope that we'll continue to do so online as well as in the real world.
0: As do I, Arlene. Thank you. And a closing thought from me is actually to say thank you to you both, actually, for supporting me in my career. I, I don't know if I would have got into the industry in the first place if it weren't for you, Arlene. And would I still be here if it weren't for you tomorrow? So, yeah, this has been lovely for me. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe, or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.